How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS-dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. From start to finish, all the way from the initial event to the arrival of, of EMS, EMS's involvement there, and then to the emergency department and into the hospital, every different link in that chain has to be solid, and you really have to sit down and ask yourself, are you doing what you can do all the way across? If you're going to do CPR, you want to do quality CPR. The head of bed elevation and the ITD really don't do very much good if you don't have quality CPR in place. Max used the term chain several times, and that's absolutely right. Every link in that chain has to be solid. Hello, and thanks for listening. Welcome to this month's podcast. I'm John Eric, Senior Editor for EMS World, and today's guests come to us from MEMS, or Metro EMS, in Little Rock, Arkansas. They're with us to talk about MEMS's cardiac arrest resuscitation bundle and the measures they're taking to improve outcomes, including the recent addition of elevated CPR with the Eligard device. Our guests are Jessica Hunter, who is a paramedic on the crew that saved Darlene Scogan, the patient we profiled in this month's story. Mac Hutchison is the service's quality manager. And Dr. Wendell Pauls is its associate medical director, as well as medical director of emergency services at uh, Baptist Health Medical Center in Little Rock. Folks, thanks for your time today. Good morning. Thank you, John. Now, I understand about uh, four years ago, uh, MEMS made some changes to the way it responds to cardiac arrest calls. Can you tell me about those changes uh, and the reasoning behind them? And uh, what kind of benefit did you see from that change? Yeah, John. So in November 2015, uh, we were watching our successful cardiac arrest response calls, and specifically the number of patients were getting uh, return of spontaneous circulation, and then those that were going home from the hospital with um, a good neurological outcome. And our percentage was about 15.7%. Those are the people that we were actually getting a pulse back on, and about 2.4% actually would leave the hospital uh, neurologically intact. And so we said, we need to do something. We've got to do something different to improve those numbers. That was about the time the American Heart Association was um, pushing, um, no pun intended, but to push hard, push fast, and push deep. And so we put a, a big educational focus on continuous quality chest compressions and changed from an environment of hurrying up and getting a patient from a scene, from a home, on the cot and in the ambulance to working that patient right where we found them so we could maintain continuous quality compressions. So we did a big educational push for that. We trained our first responders and fire departments that work with us and immediately saw an improvement in our successful outcomes. So our ROSC rate went to about 39% uh, within a month and then our go home rate was approaching um, somewhere around four and a half percent that first year. Of course, there's a lot that goes into good uh, EMS cardiac arrest responses. And as Dr. Moore noted in the article, you have to be a pretty high-performing kind of system to even consider implementing something like head positioning during CPR. What are some of the uh, kind of foundational elements that you want to have in place as a, a high-quality, high-performance 
system answering these calls. So I think you need a unified approach. Uh, We're very lucky to have representation from all the hospitals in our service area regarding um, physician direction. That's our Arkansas Emergency Physician Foundation, and they meet every couple of months or so to talk about protocols and advanced care and, and revisions or changes we need to make to improve our outcomes. Starting from the top down, uh, we're very lucky to have that with our physicians board. We've got our in-house training department who is on board with helping educate our staff. There are about 350 field staff members. Um, Our service area is quite large. It's about 2,100 square miles. And so it's somewhat of a challenge to get education out to everyone. But having that talent in-house helps us do that. We have a great relationship with our first responders, be it uh, Little Rock Fire Department, North Little Rock Fire Departments. Dr. Chuck Mason, our medical director, is also the medical director for those departments and for most of the volunteer departments in our service area. And so that helps when you've got a unified approach um, of education and um, change that you want to implement. And so by um, working together and um You know, setting our goal, being a high-performance EMS system, we want to be on the cutting edge. And um, with the leadership that we have uh, and our just in-house abilities, we're able to do those kind of things. Now, of course, the uh, the head elevation is the the new and novel part of this. Uh, Wendell, from the physician's perspective, why why does it help? And how did you go about sort of weighing the evidence and and coming to add it to MEMS's bundle? Yeah, it's really fascinating. As you know, physiologically, we have kept the head of the bed elevated in brain injury patients, oh gosh, ever since I was in medical school in the 1970s and 1980s. Elevating the head on a brain injury patient is really not that particularly novel or unique of an idea, but we really never included it in any type of resuscitation bundle. It was just something we did when we got the patients back. We started watching all of this uh, for all of these changes over the last five or six or seven years, we saw the introduction of the ITD device, which really physiologically improves venous return to the heart. And there was some question whether it worked or not in the early 2000s. Then we started seeing it starting to show some real effects. Once you started adding in really high quality CPR, if you don't generate a negative interthoracic pressure, the ITD device doesn't really help you a whole lot. So we started seeing some improvements with all that, and then we started watching Dr. Lurie's uh, research and some of the early field trials on the head of bed elevation or the Elegard system. The thing that honestly caught my eye the most, besides just the fact that it made physiologic sense, was when we started hearing anecdotal reports of patients that were still in full arrest, but using the uh, head of bed elevation along with the ITD and quality CPR started seeing a return of neurological activity in the form of agitation in our cardiac arrest patients. So here are patients that are still in pulseless VTAC or V-fib, and yet they are starting to respond. They're moving purposely. They're reaching up, grabbing at tubes. Anecdotally, I heard one of them even was trying to, trying to speak or respond to the medics while they're doing their resuscitation. And when you start seeing end organ response uh, at that level, you really start saying, okay, there's something real here. Well, we watched that. And then finally this year, uh, Dr. Lurie was able to come out with a product that we were willing to look at and invest and see if we could improve outcomes. 
One of the things that I like in Dr. Lurie's description of all this is the bundle of care concept. When he talks about that, he hasn't pushed it as much, or at least I haven't perceived that. But one of the things that we here in Little Rock decided to do was bundle a bigger bundle of care and partner very closely with MIMS. It doesn't do you a whole lot of good for EMS to respond and do a remarkable job in resuscitating a patient with all of this advanced technology and then run to the ER. And as soon as they go in the ER, uh, the ER pulls it off and says, I don't know what this stuff is. Get it out of here and let's go back to what we were doing 20 years ago. That just doesn't make any sense. In our emergency department here at Baptist, uh, decided to partner pretty closely with MIMS. We are mirroring their protocols and policies so that when they bring one of these patients to us, we continue that care through the emergency department and then assuming some some success there into the either the cath lab or the ICUs. Now, Jessica, as you're staying longer on these scenes, uh, and now you have folks coming in and, and deploying the Eligard, how are bystanders and families uh, responding to this? These scenes may now look a little different than what they've seen on TV or what they're expecting. Do they need explanations or, or do they seem to expect faster responses? So often people expect us just to come and resuscitate their family member, their friend. A lot of times the people aren't asking many questions. We'll take some time to explain to them what's going on just so they know. But a lot of them don't have many questions. You know, they just have expectations that they called us and we're going to be here to save their family or friend. So they just don't don't ask many questions as far as, you know, I've noticed on the scenes I've been on. Can you walk me through a typical scene where you would use the Eligard from the perspective of the first arriving crew? How would that unfold? Typically, we have a supervisor who will show up right before or same time shortly after we get on scene. So CPR is typically in progress. Um, the fire department usually is on scene first. We'll start getting everything set up as the supervisor gets there. They'll place the Lucas device, the Eligard, and everything that way good quality CPR is in progress. Then, you know, we'll establish our our IOs and intubate our patient and get all our meds prepped to push or, you know, shock our patient, whichever we need to do. And we typically will stay on scene for 30 minutes, making sure that everything is in place and done the way it's supposed to be done. After that, if we get any change in, you know, cap no or changes in, in rhythms, we'll go ahead and get the patient ready to load and go up to the hospital but typically it flows very good now with all the uh, things in process of the CPR device. There, there's no frantic on scene. It clears your head. It clears your hands. It just makes everything run really, really smooth, especially if you have a really good partner. Like they've said before, we've got all these other fire departments and first responders on board with us, and they pretty much know what we're doing now. So they, they also help to make everything run really smooth. Mac, you might also want to mention, I'm sure lots of other uh, EMS systems around the country are, are working the patient on the scene, but that was a relatively recent development. That was four years ago for us. So you might want to mention the uh, work at the scene the change that we made. Yeah, so everybody's familiar with the pit crew approach, and uh, we call it working the patient where we find them. You know, working where they drop is our in-house terminology, but that way we can really focus on quality compressions. And it's so critical 
you know, not just for us to focus, but we've got a, a public um, education campaign out there to teach people, friends and family, CPR, CPR courses and AED use so that the general public can start that uh, most crucial, what I feel, link in the chain of survival, which is the recognition and then the early chest compressions. And what Jessica was talking about is exactly right. You know, it's it's a system approach. Our metro units don't carry mechanical compression device. We use the Lucas or the Eligard that's brought to the scene by the on-duty supervisor. So there's a, um, a dual response to all our nine echoes or cardiac arrest by the responding MIMS ambulance and the MIMS supervisor. And so fire department, as Jessica said, is usually there first providing uh, manual compressions and then as the supervisor arrives, then we implement the Eligard advanced airway and the Lucas device all in, in one bundle. That frees up hands having mechanical compression device such as the Lucas. Um, now the medic can run the code and the supervisor is now free to go talk to the family members, explain to them exactly what's going on, be very clear and honest about the seriousness of the situation explaining exactly what we're doing and that we're going to be there a little while. We're going to be there for probably 30 minutes unless we get a positive change and explaining to them that if we don't get a change, we're going to call our online medical director or physician and ask him or her if there's anything else that they would like for us to do or try. And that's worked really well. The family's very appreciative. They can see us working hard. They can see us defibrillating doing chest compressions, administering medications. And so they know that we're doing everything that we can do for their patient. Wonderful. In addition to the case we profile in our January issue, there was an older athlete uh, saved following a, a cardiac event even more recently. I believe it was a rugby player. Can, can you tell me about that call? Yeah. So um, October 5th, um, uh, Little Rock Rugby um, was having a game. They had a visiting team from Springfield, Missouri, um, actually the coach from Springfield, Mark, Marco, as they call him, came down and needed an extra player. So ended up playing in the rugby game after the game, he was very exhausted. So he went to lay down and rest for a little bit in his girlfriend's car and later was found by his girlfriend unresponsive and in cardiac arrest. Unfortunately for us, the response time to the location of the rugby field, is out in the County. So it's about an 11 minute haul from, uh, the city down to that place. Lucky for Little Rock Rugby, they had a plan. They had players that were trained in CPR. They had an AED on the wall. And so as soon as Marco was recognized as being unresponsive, um, a couple of players who knew CPR pulled him out of the vehicle and started immediate chest compressions. Another player grabbed the AED off the wall, applied it, and um, shock was indicated. and He converted after the first shock. And so really the first couple of minutes of that frantic scene is what made the difference because it was early chest compressions, well, first recognition, and then chest compressions and early defibrillation. They had this patient with a pulse before our volunteer first responders arrived on scene. And so volunteer firefighters from um, Quell Creek and Arch Street arrived, the Pulaski County deputies arrived on scene, and then we were following shortly thereafter. That chain of survival, all those links in that chain were strong. The patient was having a, um, a STEMI, ST elevation MI. We immediately did a 12 lead. We transmitted that to the receiving facility. Mark went straight to the cath lab, 
and went home after three days. Fantastic. And of course, the common denominator, uh, several common denominators to both these cases and, and successful outcomes, but uh, certainly underscoring the importance of uh, early early recognition, early CPR and defibrillation. John, let me throw in there also uh, another critical component of all these different things is a plan in place before any of these events ever happen. You've got to have people that know what to do. You've got to have kind of an organized approach. You've got to have that plan in place. The fact that they had people already trained, the fact that they had planned ahead and had an AED in place, the fact that there's an EMS component that can transmit an EKG to the facility. There are protocols that say, we're going to activate our cath lab prior to EMS arrival when you've got a STEMI that's identified. All of those things cut minutes out of the overall patient experience, and that's really what makes a huge difference. Now, I know once Darlene pulled through, her mother, Jean, left MEMS a voicemail that has apparently been shared around uh, pretty widely. What uh, what did Jean say in that message? Yeah, so I got the voicemail from Jean, Darlene's mother, and it was just a very sincere, appreciative uh, message to MEMS and specifically the paramedics um, and firefighters, uh, supervisor that Ron seen uh, when Darlene... Uh, went into cardiac arrest. She played out the whole scenario on how um, it's because you had a plan in place. It's because your paramedics are trained well and they knew what to do, that Darlene is alive today. It was about a couple of minute voicemail. We saved that. We passed it along and I immediately sent it to the uh, Jessica and her partner supervisor and let them play it for them their next shift. Um, we played it for our staff meeting. Uh, we played it at our next um, physician's board meeting. The message there is, guys, this is why we do it. This is why we are trying to be cutting edge on the current science and why we're trying to use and put everything in our arsenal to improve our patient outcomes. And we're trying to get our, continue to get our ROSC rates higher and our patients going home from the hospital even more. Um, we don't have a goal of 50% ROSC or 60%. You know, it's it's just keep going and as high as we can go. As other systems consider this bundle and the elevated CPR and the, the head positioning, what wisdom or advice or lessons uh, from MEMS experience can you offer? What what sort of guidance do you have uh, for, for other systems that follow? One thing that I would suggest to you is to sit down and look at from start to finish from the moment the patient experiences their negative event until the time that the patient is discharged from the hospital. Uh, Max used the term chain several times, and that's absolutely right. Every link in that chain has to be solid. You have to have a quick response time from the time 911 is called. You have to have people that will identify the, the problem early and hopefully have some bystander CPR initiated if that's a possibility in your community. If you're going to do CPR, you want to do quality CPR. Uh, the head of bed elevation and the ITD really don't do very much good if you don't have quality CPR in place. You want to have as rapid a response as you can. So from start to finish, all the way from the initial event to the arrival of, of EMS, EMS's involvement there and then to the emergency department and into the hospital, every different link in that chain has to be solid. And you really have to sit down and ask yourself, are you doing what you can do 
all the way across. If you find barriers, then you you need leadership and commitment to make changes. Uh, we talk like this has been uh, easy. It's not. It's been multiple years worth of work. It's been lots of meetings. It's it's challenging some assumptions that are held by hospitals, by EMS providers, by physicians. You've got to be willing to break down every barrier along the way to make it happen. But as Max said, and Jessica said, this is why we do this. We went into medicine to try and help sick people. These are the sickest. These are the people that literally on the are on the edge of life and death. And being able to look at Darlene and her mom and say, in some small way, we helped you in this situation. Um, that makes everything worthwhile. Every link, like we keep saying, you need a liaison to that department, be it the fire department, the volunteers or paid services, the hospital emergency department staff, the cath lab, the folks on ECMO. You know, we've involved this whole process and really sat down, like Dr. Paul said, and looked at it from start to finish. And what is every potential scenario and how do we affect every aspect of each scenario to do our best? And then two, you have to have follow up. You have to look at the events after they happen and you have to look at what we did well and how we can get better the next time. And so you have to provide that feedback and you have to celebrate the success with the medics, celebrate with those family members, celebrate with the staff at the ERs, your volunteers and everybody involved. And we do that here at MEMS with something we call the Phoenix Award. When a crew has a successful cardiac arrest patient that um, has a, a neurologically intact outcome and they go home from the hospital, we recognize them. We recognize our paramedics. We recognize our dispatchers who provided CPR instructions on the phone, the firefighters, first responders, police officers, and now even rugby players on a job well done so we can celebrate that. That's a great idea and, and certainly a best practice. Well, thank you to our guests, uh, Mac Hutchison, Jessica Hunter, and Dr. Wendell Pauls from MEMS in Little Rock. You can read more about uh, Head Elevated CPR and this particular care bundle in our January issue. And please stay tuned for more regular podcasts from EMS World. Thanks for listening and have a great day. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this article and hundreds more like it at emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And see you in Vegas, September 14th through the 18th, 2020 at EMS World Expo.